Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 19th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that definitely loots when it counts. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host is Travis Allen, a.k.a. Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everybody. Pleasure to be back again. Looking forward to our conversation this evening. Our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. All right, Travis, break down what we've got for everybody today. Well, James, today we've got four segments. Our first segment is Top Movers, where we will look at the cards that have seen the largest changes in price over the last week. Segment two is Cards to Watch. These are the cards that James and I are looking as potential money makers. Segment three is our Metagame Week in Review, where we will be discussing Grand Prix Costa Rica, which was standard last weekend, won by uh, Seth Manfield. And finally, segment four is our topic of the week. This week, we'll be talking about Eternal Masters. What's the distribution look like? What are card prices looking like? Uh, things of that nature. So let's go ahead and hop right in. Segment one, top movers. I'll start us off this week. It's a short list, not a lot of action. Uh, we're beginning with Bridge from Below from Future Sight. Uh, this came in the week at $6. It's hanging around 10 bucks right now. For about a 66% increase, uh, not that large of a percentage increase on the even on the bottom of our of our list uh, compared to normal. This is also part of the dredge deck that we've seen show up in modern. Last week we talked about Greater Gargadon. Bridge from Below is in the same part of the deck. Um, you know, the Gargadon and the Bridge from Below kind of work in concert with Bloodgast, which is the card that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, and you sacrifice the blood gas to greater Gargadon over and over and over again to get bridge from below triggers. So uh, bridge from below, future sight rare. It's also in modern masters. I have not seen that one pop up quite as much, but I'm sure the prices on that one won't be far behind. Yeah, I mean, this is a card, as you said, that is almost always associated with a dredge deck. There's a, it's played in legacy and modern. There are even some vintage decks floating around that make use of it. Um, the the card's uh, only been printed uh, a couple of times, if I'm not mistaken, in Future Sight and Modern Masters. Uh, and, you know, the one of the decks uh, has to be doing well or be in the spotlight for this card to see gains um, because it's not easily slotted into any other deck archetype. Um, but not surprised given the, the focus on Dredge lately that we're, we've seen some movement here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bridge from Below, I feel like, could suddenly be $20 one day if somebody realizes that there's a true Tier 1 contender in Modern. But until it's until it's anything more than just a uh, a niche deck in Legacy and Vintage, I don't think we'll ever see this too expensive. Yeah, agreed. So next on our list, we have Anawan the Ruin Sage. This is a uh, legendary vampire creature from World Wake. It's a 4-3 for 3 and 2 black. At the beginning of your upkeep, each player sacrifices a non-vampire creature. So primarily a, an EDH card, um, and it's far enough out now that on relatively low supply, we've seen the card move from $4.50 or so up to about the $8 range, 
and uh, I would expect it'll probably settle somewhere between eight and twelve dollars um, over the next six to twelve months as the rest of the supply dries up. Yeah, yeah, looks like just a low supply legendary foil. Um, I'm sorry, this is the non-foil one, just but low supply in general, uh, popular with casual players, EDH players, and it's it's drying up. I would not want to be too close to this one because you could see this pop up in commander lists at any given time. Yep, next up is uh, Doomed Necromancer from Onslaught. Uh, we're looking at the Onslaught foil copy. It's also been printed in 10th edition. The Onslaught foil copy started the week at $4.50. It's now at uh, about a little over $8, so almost a double up. As best as I can tell, this is another supply issue. Um, on TCG Player, I see two near-mint copies. That's it. Uh, I'm guessing there's probably similar quantities on other websites. Again, Onslaught Foils, there are not an abundance of those. And Doom Necromancer does a lot of work in EDH and similar decks. So uh, I think this was just another card to fall to attrition. Agreed. So the, the next card on our list is the uh, only Eternal Masters card that we're highlighting. There's actually been movement on quite a few of them this week uh, during the pre-order period, but um, we're just going to point this one out uh, as an example of something that has definitely not settled yet. Um, Young Pyromancer um, started the week at about $1.50 from some of the pre-orders and is now settled in, in and around $3. So on paper, it looks like 100% gain, um, but... Uh, not really, because you had a chance to order it for cheaper. Now it's a little more expensive. But the real flood of supply isn't going to kickstart off until uh, tomorrow or Saturday. And leading through the next couple of weeks, I think you, these cards are going to find fresh bottoms. So if you see on any of the various stat sites, including MTG Price, that the Eternal Masters cards are moving, um, I wouldn't get too excited about it until you've double-checked uh, the number of copies that have been posted on eBay and TCG Player, etc., and try to figure out uh, what direction uh, the card is headed in when you're, uh, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more in our fourth segment. Uh, yeah, yep, I'll, I'll hold my comments till we get there. Um, we're going to finish off the week with Realms Uncharted uh, from Rise of the Eldrazi. We're looking at the foil copy. Uh, started the week at six. It is currently about 20 for 200 and change percent increase. Again, we talked about this last week, but it was a non-foil. This is in response to, I believe, as best I can tell, the Gitrog monster. I mean, this, this card is unreal in that deck. Uh, Gifts Ungiven is actually banned in EDH and Realms Uncharted is the Gifts Ungiven for lands. Uh, so you're kind of getting the play with a banned card. Um, just does a tremendous amount of work in that deck. Uh, it's the first time we've really seen a reason to want copies of this card. Uh, so it's not too much of a surprise to see the foil copies dry up really fast as players start to pick theirs up uh, in response to that. I, I believe we'll see Gitrog kind of changing numbers for uh, many months to come. Yep, I agree. That's true. Uh, let's move on to our cards to watch uh, for this week. Yeah, sure. Sounds great. Um, well, your name's first on the list again, so why don't you go ahead and start? So this week, I'm actually going to highlight a card uh, that we just talked about last week, where Travis put forth the the concept of picking up Days Undoing. Um, the reason I'm going to uh, come circle back on this card, uh, you know, just a week later, is that there's been a deck circulating around um, that uh, Raphael Levy has been on, and Sean McLaren was playing on stream last night. Uh, playing against on stream last night, called Rise of the Robots, which is basically all about playing some of the crappiest creatures in Affinity um, 
and some associated uh, artifacts and artifact lands, and then casting a Jeskai Ascendancy and or a Day's Undoing to fill your hand back up and go off by playing and replaying via cards like Retraction Helix, one of your zero casting cost artifacts. The end result is that you end up having something like an Ornithopter or a Memnite that is, you know, infinitely large and uh, via the Jeskai Ascendancy triggers, and then you, in theory, swing in for the win. Um, I don't know whether this deck is uh, is one of these, fr- uh, just another fragile uh, Jeskai Ascendancy brew, um, or whether it's got any legs, uh, and how much t- retuning might be possible once we get a bunch of new interesting artifacts out of the Kaladesh block starting in the fall. Um, but it's worth noting that Days Undoing is a mythic rare out of Origins, um, that does a pretty decent time twister impersonation uh, in a deck that can uh, drop most of its hand on turn one or two, as this deck can. So uh, definitely, if you can get in on these copies between 2 and $3, I think somewhere down the road, whether it's because of this deck or something uh, similar, you're going to get a chance to get out around $10. Yeah, I think this is actually the second or third time one of us has picked a card to discuss, uh, only to realize that the other one already did it a week or two ago. I know I did it with Oath of Nithsa. Uh, two or three weeks ago, and you had just called it a week or two prior to that. So good to know we're at least on the same page, I guess. Yeah, I, it's just it's back on my radar because there are new re- continuing. To, uh, it's continuing to develop um, as new reasons to play it show up. Okay, so my first pick for this week is uh, River Kelpie, and uh, full disclosure, it may be too late by the time you even listen to this. I'm not sure yet. I have a, the timeline as a very short written down here. Um, this is from Shadowmore. Uh, it's currently hanging around about a dollar, maybe a little bit underneath this, but supply is drying up rapidly. I'm seeing people talk about it on Twitter. Uh, Doug Johnson, one of the other writers at MTG Price has been talking about it. Um, noticing that copies are starting to disappear. Foils too, possibly. I haven't, I didn't get a chance to look at those. Um, but this is a single printing from Shadowmore. So we're talking about, you know, what is that? 10 years ago or something now. Uh, it's, the price has begun to move, so we know players are interested. It draws you tons of cards in EDH. Um, so, I, I mean, this is just a card that's got all of the trappings of something, you know, an old casual card that just kind of explodes because the price gets really low. People realize it's low. They pick up their copies before it's gone, and then suddenly it's between three and seven times more expensive than it used to be. So, you know, I wouldn't rush out and pay a dollar a copy on these right now, but if you can find them in your bulk bin at your local store, or if you're placing an order and they have a couple copies hanging around at a quarter or 50 cents a piece, uh, I don't think you're going to be hurting picking these up. And uh, you might be able to opt them on Puka Trade for a couple of bucks in a few weeks, maybe not even that long. Um, so, so some free money there on the table if you can find cheap copies. Yeah, I mean, there, there are a few dozen copies left on TCG Player, but all of them are hampered by uh, high shipping costs. And the foils look like they've dried up almost completely. So uh, coordinated uh, MTG Finance efforts uh, notwithstanding, uh, this card has, you know, a lot, had had, has had a long time without any reprint. And uh, if it's got applications in EDH, it's no big surprise that the remaining supply is dwindling. Yeah, and you know, this has been on my radar before. Um, 
and I, and I can tell that because I saw Doug tweet something about River Kelpie, and I immediately knew which card he was talking about because every time I pass it in my bulk box, I stop and look at it, and then I have to go look the price up to see if it's worth any money yet. So, um, you know, I, I had just sort of uh, pegged this in my brain as a card that seems like it should be worth money. So uh, just the mere fact that I recognized it when I came up, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a card that I've thought about before. There's There's probably a reason that this is moving. Sure thing. So my next card this week is confidence level about a seven mid to long term pick. Uh, Thing in the ice has finally gotten into a more interesting position. I mean, I feel very bad for the people that were pre-ordering this over $20 um, when it was first spoiled because this potentially powerful rare has really failed to uh, show up at top tables in a consistent manner. It actually has done some top eights in standard already, um, but hasn't really gotten anywhere in modern legacy or vintage. Um, as that it was expected to, and uh, I don't love it at four dollars, but I suspect that, which is the you know the lowest current price you're going to find. But I do like the idea that somewhere in this summer we're going to see some summer sales during the you know the doldrums where people are out enjoying the sunshine instead of playing Magic, and I suspect you're going to be able to pick up copies sooner or later in and around two fifty or three dollars, which starts to make it a little more attractive. The foils are still hanging in and around $20, so a four times multiplier. I think that's too high given its current performance level. Um, if it comes down under three times, I might start to get interested. And I did uh, stash away a couple of Russian foils that I picked up in the mid-30s um, about a month ago that I, I, I still have faith will will produce down the road. Um, so just to keep in mind that Thing in the Ice uh, is starting to drop to what is likely to be its local low and uh, who knows what new tools you might get in the next couple of sets that suddenly turn the card on. Yeah, for sure. I was really disappointed when this card skyrocketed at the pre-release, uh, pre-release period because as soon as I read it, I was like, this is actually possibly quite a real card. And I had been kind of talking about it with some buddies, and it was pre-ordering, I think, at like a dollar, two dollars. And I was like, okay, well, after this releases and uh, quickly hits jump change, I'll buy in. And we all know that didn't happen. So I'll be curious to see where this can manage to land, especially after our rotation this fall, see what changes. Exactly. Okay, so my next card uh, is a a series of cards, five of them, in fact. They are the Nephilim from Ravnica. I'm looking at foil copies specifically. Uh, I have these at a confidence level of eight, so I I really like these. Um, These are sort of a mid, mid to long type thing. Uh, We're looking at like November specifically, I think, is when the Commander set releases. Uh, They're all from Dissension. uh, which is the third block in the Ravnica set, I believe, Ravnica block, the first Ravnica block. Uh, they're hanging around for the most part in the like three-ish dollar range. I believe your Tiller Nephilim is already like $15 because that's the one that reanimates creatures from graveyards. It sees play in five color decks. So uh, that one sort of already happened. Uh, but that kind of gives you an idea of where these could end up because we have one of them that sees play in a small handful of EDH decks and that's $14 or $15 foil. Um, so with these four color commanders coming out, all of these other ones get more interesting. Are they amazing in Commander? Uh, no, I, I don't think that they're they're remarkable, but they do have press um, the unique feature of being the only four color cards in Magic prior to Commander's release. Uh, and I think a lot of players are going to want to put them in their deck because hey, it's the Nephilim and they were here first. Um, the nice thing about the foils is that even if they are the Nephilim are reprinted in Commander, which I still don't think they will be, but there is an up, uh, outside possibility that they will. Even if those they are reprinted, they won't be reprinted in foil. So the foils are really safe. Uh, and in fact, if these are reprinted um, in Commander, I feel like the foils are even 
better because that turns on a whole slew of players who didn't know they even existed now see the card might want it in foil. Um, so uh, I, you know, these things have been low for ages. In November, we're going to see a very good reason to be playing with them, and I'd be surprised if you uh, if you didn't make at least a few bucks a copy on all the foils. Yeah, I think the activation pattern here is what to what degree um, are each of the Nephilim uh, synergistic with the commander in their four color pattern. Um, that's really what it's going to come down to, it, as well as you know, how much low supply and speculative activity based on these kind of conversations um, leads into them being bought up, just hoping that they're going to work out. Um, I certainly wouldn't want to be stuck holding a bad one um, if I was buying on the way up the curve, if it turns out that it doesn't work very well at all with the, the commander in question, because other than, you know, most of the focus on these four color decks is going to certainly be related to the abilities of the commander that gets printed in those decks. And it's uh, pretty unlikely that there's going to be much demand uh, after that point if the synergy is not there. Yeah, they're they're all uh, reasonably playable um, in most color decks. They may not have an extremely strong synergy with each commander, but um, you know the the non blue one makes a bunch of tokens. The non white one is a uh, a cold eye sulky that draws cards. The non-black one is a uh, azada effect so they do they do things that might not be extremely synergistic but they're not at this but the flip side of that is that they're not um they're not pigeonholed these are effects that are not necessarily only good in exactly one type of strategy and if the commander isn't that strategy they do nothing they're a little more universal than that i think cool well it'll be interesting to see how that plays out yeah you know this giant stack of them next to me makes me really optimistic uh perhaps Foolishly so. Fair enough. So my next pick is actually uh, a sealed product. Uh, Origins booster boxes um, have started to dry up. Um, and compared to most of the sets that have been released since Return to Ravnica, who ha which have booster boxes, at least English booster boxes, in, in relatively plentiful supply, there really isn't that much Origins product lying around. Um, some of the major vendors uh, like Star City and a couple of the big uh, operators on TCG as well as Channel Fireball definitely look like they're trying to unload. Channel Fireball has a deal this week where you can get boxes at, I believe, $90 plus some reasonable shipping amount, especially if you're buying in volume. Um, you might be able to pick them up locally around 100 but on eBay and in other avenues, um, they seem to be... Uh, crawling up over 120, and there really just isn't that. It, the the, the no, total number of boxes is looks seems to be less than 200, which is actually quite a bit less than most of the other sets in the same time frame. Um, it leads me to believe in in uh, cross referencing the number of fantastic cards that are in Origins. I mean, we have all of the Flip Walkers, including Jay's Friend's Prodigy and Liliana Heretical Healer. Um, all of which have already seen a promo printing at SDCC last year and are unlikely to be printed for years. We have things like Pyromancer's Goggles and Hangerback Walker, Dark Petition, which is useful all the way back to Legacy and Vintage. We have uh, Knight of the White Orchid and all of the um, Shivan Reef um, Painlands, Days Undoing that we just talked about today, Sphinx's Tutelage, Goblin Piledriver, Pia and Kieran Nalar, um, Abbot of Carol Keep, Starfield of Nyx, demonic pack the list goes on this is a chalk a block set and i think that the only two sets that have run this deep 
um, in recent memory are probably Innistrad, and then before that maybe Future Sight, and the all of that adds up to me that these to as a signal that these boxes are going to get over 150 or 160 faster than most of your other options. Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, you know, I am generally not a huge fan of sealed product. Um, Eternal Masters is about the only thing that I have really ever recommended people buy in terms of sealed booster boxes. But Origins is the one set that kind of has had me in the um, the last couple of months wondering about uh, for exactly the reasons you you mentioned. It's just so dense with so many interesting cards. And I really question uh, how the sales on the set were um, on the whole. So there might be uh, generally there might have been less requested by distributors from Wizards. So maybe there was not that one last print run or something. So, uh, you know, if you can grab these at 80 to $90, I think I think you're in pretty good shape, um, especially because uh, it shouldn't be too hard to out at least a handful of these locally, which gets rid of the brutal shipping costs that would be involved with something like this. Yeah, agreed. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm last this week. Um, I'm going to finish up with uh, Arlen Cord, the Planeswalker from Shadows Over Innistrad. Um, you know, I've got this at a six right now. I'm looking at a mid-to-long timeline. Uh, my conference mod, this may increase um, depending on how things pan out. But it looks like she's finally in that $10 range, um, which, uh, you know, I would expect $20 to be a pretty reasonable price point for her to get back to, uh, which is exactly what we saw with Chandra Flamecaller. Um, not that long ago, she, she bottomed out around 10 and climbed back up to 20 and eventually like close to 30, but um, at the very least she had 20. I actually wrote an article uh, a year or two ago, probably two-ish years ago now, um, called the, the Planeswalker Curve. And I basically said, look, Planeswalkers come out. Uh, if they're not immediately a home run, the price drops down to about the, the $9 to $12 range. And then almost all of them in some capacity start to tick back up, especially the ones that are even remotely playable. Um, Arlen Cord, when she was spoiled, was considered, I think, the best Planeswalker in Shadows Over Innistrad. Na- uh, Narhiri has kind of um, overshadowed her, uh, Shadows overshadowed, uh, recently with her success, but that doesn't mean Arlen Cord is bad. Uh, and just this past week in Costa Rica, we saw Arlen Cord show up in an Aya Planeswalker deck. Um, she does a lot of good work. Uh, she's, she's very effective. Um, she reminds me a lot of Huntmaster of the Fells in, in some ways. Um, and Red Green in general just hasn't been that good in standard lately, but that doesn't mean that it won't be. It just means we don't have the tools today. Now, we know that Wizards came into uh, Shadows Over Innistrad knowing the players wanting wanted a uh, legendary red-green werewolf, uh, a werewolf commander, uh, and we didn't get it in Shadows. I am 99... I am more confident that we are going to get a legendary werewolf in uh, Eldritch Moon than we will Emrakul, and I'm pretty sure we're getting Emrakul. Uh, so it, will that card make Arlen Cord playable? I don't know. I mean, it could be an 8-drop, so possibly not, but at least we know that something like that's coming, which may help push her, you know, if it's, if it's Huntmaster-esque. Uh, but she's just a regular Planeswalker. She's basically at her nadir, and she's generically useful. She's not a really niche type of card. She makes bodies, and she lightning bolts things. So I think that, you know, I wouldn't be running out to, to dump cash into Arlen Cord, but I would be happy to pick these up in binders right now because there's not that much lower for her to go, and uh, you could start grabbing these now and either... Uh, right after Eldritch Moon is released, or maybe this fall, Arlen Cord's over 20 bucks. You grab seven or eight of them in trades over the summer, and now you've uh, you've really padded your, your binder's value when you want to start picking up cards in, uh, in Kaladesh when that set releases. So so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up this week with Arlen Cord. 
I mean, as somebody who's just made a pile of money um, outing Nahiri's over $35 on Puka Trade um, off copies that I picked up at 10 um, I can certainly see the appeal in going deep on $10 Planeswalkers. My concern with Arlen Cord is that she hasn't made... There's been no whispers or ripples that she's going to have anything to do in Modern, um, where if an effect like that, a, a card, a green-red card is going to be played at that price point in a mid-range deck, it's probably going to be Huntmaster. The... Uh, concern I have is that if she doesn't take off in standard, um, then we never get the chance to exit um, over $15, which would keep me a little gun-shy until I started to see um, how uh, Eldritch Moon is likely to play out. Um, I'm actually less excited about the legendary werewolf um, slash commander that we're probably getting um, than I am about some low-casting-cost support cards for green-red mostly because I think that the Legendary Werewolf is likely to come in at a 4 or 5 casting cost, which would be competitive against Arlen for the slot. Um, but if we could get a, say, 2-drop that tapped for green or red, um, and Arlen can come out on turn 3, then green-red starts to get more exciting, and maybe the deck comes back. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Arlen is definitely on my radar. I want to see how the previews for the next set play out before I go deep on her. There's tons of copies lying around, and she could even get a little lower um, as the summer doldrums set in. I mean, we don't get previews for Eldritch Moon t until the end of the month, right? So uh, I'm going to wait and see on that one for now, but it's definitely a, a sweet idea to, to be keeping our eyes on. Well, there's a lot of fair points here, right? So first of all, my like I said, my confidence levels on this is a six. I'm not I'm not calling this a home run. I agree. She's she's also seen less standard play than Chandra Flamecolor had at this point when Chandra was a good buy. Um, like I said, she showed up in Costa Rica recent, recently, but uh, that you know she hasn't really done a lot other than that, and she's also not really making a play in modern. You know, we didn't see cards like Nissa, Voice of Zendikar, or even really Gideon make much of a, a showing in modern early. So that's not required for the prices to move, but it certainly doesn't uh, hurt. Um, and you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right. There is a risk here that you pick these up at 10 in trade and red green doesn't get the tools it needs. And Arlen Cord never really climbs above that. So I, I, I am very, uh, very aware of that risk. And, you know, I'm glad we're bringing it to our, to our listeners attention. I'm not calling this a slam dunk. I'm saying this is a card I have on my radar. Um, and I would be picking up on trade if I'm trading, but, uh, there is definitely a real risk on these, which is why I'm not telling you to go buy any. Um, when Chandra Flamecaller was $10, I spent like 120 bucks on a few play sets. I have not bought any Arlen cords. Yeah, I mean, neither neither have I. I've put, cracked a couple in drafts. Um, I think what's got me primarily gun-shy on the standard Planeswalkers is the history of cards that I did go deep on. I think I had uh, 10 copies of Sarkin, um, uh, the KTK, KTK Sarkin, the red one, um, that I bought at about 14. That was a disaster. Um, <laughs> I think I, I bought some copies of Narset Enlightened uh, somewhere along the way that never went anywhere. And uh, probably some Sarkin Unbrokens that I was uh, trying to push by playing a five-color Planeswalkers deck last fall. So I've tripped over the standard Planeswalkers enough to be uh, to justify my gun-shy position. Let's see how this one plays out once we've seen, the, seen those spoilers. Well, I felt bad about my $4 drag, Sarkin Dragon Speakers, much less $14 copies. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, he's got to be fantastic when we get to Dragons of Tarkir, right? Yeah, I think, I, I, you know, that's one of those, like, right, punish for the right play type of thing uh, scenarios, I think. But, okay. Uh, segment three, metagame week in review, Grand Prix Costa Rica, standard format. Uh, that's a pretty 
generic top eight. Uh, the only thing here that even stands out remotely is the Naya Walkers deck that I referenced that had the two Arlen Cord. Um, I like that almost every card in that is legal after rotation. You lose Hangerback Walker, but um, pretty much everything else is good. Uh, what jumped out at you from this event, James? Well, we should break down what we're dealing with here. In the top eight, we had uh, two copies of Bant Company. We had uh, four copies of Green White Tokens and uh, a copy of Naya Walkers. So a lot of green, a lot of white. Um, out of the top eight decks, uh, seven of the eight were running four copies of Dromoka's Command. So they had a funny conversation oh, wow. on Magic TV last night um, where they were talking about, if, if Dromoka's Command was a blue card, wouldn't we all be calling for it to be banned? That level of dominance. Now, I think that the it was a bit tongue-in-cheek because... You know, if this was happening for four or five weeks in a row, then yes, then then it actually would be a legitimate discussion. Although, given that it's rotating in the fall, I, would, I imagine it would be just allowed to play out. Um, if it was a card, say, from Shadows Over Innistrad in that position, I think that potentially, uh, and, and the metagame could not find a way to shift around it, then yeah, maybe, maybe it could be that damaging. Um, it would certainly... Um, be at the same level as when mono blue and mono black devotion were kind of 60 or 70 percent of the meta game and standard got extremely boring three or four years ago so yeah i thought that was interesting um it's also cool that the, the green white tokens decks are all running four copies of oath of nissa um i was actually talking about that card in the other video i was recording where i'm breaking down my portfolio picks for the the spring um some new content we're going to be developing for mtg price and I was talking about how, you know, there, there isn't even a really a good way to recurse the card yet. If, you, if, you, if a creature comes out, say a white creature or something, that allows you to pick up enchantments, put them back in your hand, and, and then replay them, um, Oath of Nisa could get really ridiculous. It certainly showed up in a bunch of modern decks, um, and so I continue to pick up foils in the 5 or $6 range. Yeah, so we've talked about Othanissa twice. You recommended it as a foil. I liked it as a non-foil. So, so I'm totally on board with Othanissa. I'm looking at the price right now. It's still in the in the two dollar two fifty range. So I'm actually, you know, when I come back, I might I might look at grabbing some of these depending on what the price has been doing. Um, I, I didn't realize Dramoka's Command had been in that many decks. You know, I was just kind of scrolling through the list and going, okay, Bant Company tokens, you know, Bant Company tokens, and just, like, not really paying that much attention after I looked at the first list. But that's a really good point, that that was all Dramoka's Command. In fact, the only deck that didn't run Dramoka's Command was uh, a deck that couldn't run it. It was black-white control. It wasn't even like it was similar colors opted uh, not to bother. Um, this isn't even... It's not even being used for the enchantment removal, right? Like, that's not, that's not part of the utility of the card at this point. So it's not like it's a metagame call. Uh, am I correct in that? Is that what you're seeing here? Well, I mean, it keeps it keeps pr pr troublesome enchantments off the table um, yeah. when and if it needs to. But the fact that it's got four modes at two casting costs and it almost always dominates, uh, it's almost always guaranteed to dominate a combat phase with the you know plus one, plus one, and fight uh, ability. The other two abilities are just you know a backup plan. You can negate uh, the, the damage that a, uh, a burn spell does and, you know, if somebody has a random enchantment in play, then, uh, you know, this, this is going to scare it right off the table, which is holding back cards like Stasis Snare and Silk Wrap from really having the impact they would otherwise in this format, um, you know, which are, you know, perfectly reasonable solutions if you're not facing, you know, a top eight full of Dromoka's Command. 
Yeah, you know, I really have to wonder if we would have seen things like Starfield of Nyx do a lot better were it not for Dravoka's Command, because that card is just so good as it is. And then go, oh, it also hoses uh, enchantment strategies to try and show up, which is almost just sort of like, oh, well, okay, I guess. Like, you basically hated out a, a deck before it was even on the table. Um, the other thing I wanted to look at real quick, uh, I do see that uh, one of the bat company lists for up, showed up with four Jaces main deck. So that card is, is still good. Still a very playable card. I talked about it in my article this week. Um, it doesn't mean it's going to change the face of standard again. Uh, you know, green, white, and tokens have, have pretty firmly grasped the format at this point. But just kind of a reminder that he's still out there. He's still a useful card. Uh, with all the tokens in play, I, I don't remember if we talked about this last week or not, but it's probably time to look at selling your um, Nissas from Ult of the Gatewatch. They're uh, they're a pretty healthy price point right now, and unlikely to see more play than they're seeing right now. Um, you know, the Eldritch Moon and then uh, Kaladesh would really have to continue to push that theme for her to be to be much more powerful. Um, she's uh, what's what's her full name? It's Nissa. Voice of Zendikar. This a voice of Zendikar. Yeah, she's. Wait, let me look. Let me look. Yeah. Oh, she's. Oh, she's like twelve dollars. Wait, she's only twelve dollars right now. Yeah, I, really? I would actually. I was. I was going to go the other way and say that you might want to consider picking these up. The, truth, uh, truth I, be told, I, I thought she was like over twenty bucks when I started that sentence, and then I just pull her yeah. up over here and it's like, oh. Yeah, I mean, oh. it's 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 interesting, right? Green white tokens is pretty is pretty much uh, agreed to be the best deck in the format, the most consistent. We had Seth. Uh, win uh, the, the tournament playing it, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think I think Seth Manfield was playing tokens. He's at the bottom of the list, but let me find him. Uh, yeah, he was playing tokens. Okay, so I'm going to do a complete 180. Uh, don't sell your Nissa voices on the car. Hold on to her. She's in Oath. She's going to survive rotation. And she puts. she's just still it's like 12 bucks, which is unbelievably cheap for how good green-white tokens is. And she also puts a counter on every creature you control. So when we go to Kaladesh, if we're seeing all sorts of Doctor tokens, like that's going to be a really powerful effect with creatures like Hangerback or whatever shows up that's similar. Yeah, this is this is a, because it's a uh, spring planeswalker, not a fall planeswalker. That's almost always a four of when tokens are good. Um, the the potential that she tops over twenty five come in the fall when everybody's buying Kaladesh. Um, that's reasonably likely. Likely, I mean, I, I think I like Nisa better than I like Arlen at this point, but we'll see how things develop. Yeah, no, I I, I kind of agree with you. Again, I, I to be perfectly honest, I hadn't looked at Nisa Voice of Zendikar prior to well thirty seconds ago, and I just sort of figured she was in the eighteen to twenty range. Um, so yeah, I would be more inclined to pick her up than Arlen at this point. You know, she's a little more expensive, but well, I mean, five. I, I can't blame you. Five of the eight decks in the top eight were running four copies. Yeah, the, the Naya Walkers deck runs the full four, and I think all of the green white tokens did as well. So, I mean, the the level of play is not reflective. I mean, uh, Jace Friend's Prodigy has fallen off quite a bit, but that's still a forty dollar Planeswalker, uh, four times more expensive than a Walker that's probably seeing five to six times more play. Yeah, and I mean, Gideon is in the eighteen to twenty dollar range, and I don't think he just sees a, basically the exact same amount of play as Nissa, like really yeah. similar. Yeah, I mean. Uh, Gideon has started to show up in modern decks uh, in in greater quantities, um, but Nisa has that potential as well. Um, so the fact that Gideon is from the fall set, which was you know by because of expeditions, extremely 
had an extremely large print run, probably yeah. bigger than Oath, because Eldrazi Winter almost certainly put a damper on Oath sales. Of the two, it's very surprising that Nisa is the least expensive. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And when Gideon showed up in Modern, wasn't it in that green-white token stack that also had Nissa, or was it black-white? Um, I'd have to go back and double-check, but I think you're right. Okay, yeah, because I thought, I mean, I he, thought, I thought he, Nissa he was in it. He certainly shows up in the black-white token stacks in Modern as well, but usually okay, not as okay. a floor of. Okay. Um, I, I, either way, uh, Nisa looking good, guys. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. I'm, you know, I, I'm I'm leaving. Uh, I'm gonna be gone for over three weeks. Uh, I'm gonna be out of the country, so I, it's a really bad idea for me to buy any magic cards right now with the intent of speculating on them. But uh, were I not, I would be going looking for cheap copies of Missa at the moment. Um, okay, one last thing I wanted to mention on the, our metagame here uh, was in fifteenth place. We saw that blue black prison deck show up to call it blue black is kind of funny it runs four black sources for two sideboard slum guards but basically mono blue prison this is the one that runs days undoing um and part of the water veil and jason sanctum that we all had to stop and look up the cards for last week because we didn't know what half of them did yeah uh just it's just interesting to see days undoing showing up there again in standard and more part the water veil you know uh i don't see you know days undoing is rotating so the standard play is probably not going to push us anywhere although i do still like the card and uh you know part the water veil i mean that did spike at one point i should probably actually look up the price of that card since i should you know, actually look at the price of these things before I start talking about them. I think Waterville is settled in around five or six, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm seeing copies right around $5. So that's still a little pricier than I'd want to pay, especially again for BFZ Mythic. But um, worth worth keeping an eye on that one. You know, if this slips down into the $1.50-ish, $2 range after a rotation, it might be worth looking at part of the water bail because clearly this is a very powerful time warp effect in time warp decks. Uh, because it turns into a, a creature as well that gets to attack. So it kind of serves two roles there. So back in show number seven, uh, we actually called part the water veil at $2, uh, targeting it at eight. So we're doing pretty good so far on that one. Oh, yeah, that was that was all you. You called it at two. I don't know if it hit eight, but it was definitely like five or six. Yep. And I, and I think this card's got legs. The, the bottom line here is, folks, blue spells that do imitations of the power nine um, should never be underestimated. Yeah, I don't no, don't disagree with that. Okay. All right. So for our final segment of the week, we are going to talk a little bit about how to, to approach the release weekend for EMA. Um, Eternal Masters is being released across the globe at midnight tonight. Um, I personally will be playing in a draft at about 12.01 this evening. And uh, I've got to make a little side trip down to uh, Ohio this weekend to pick up all of the Eternal Masters boxes that uh, people pre-ordered from me uh, in Toronto. Um, Happily, uh, given where the price of those boxes is headed, at least in the short term, I'm pretty thrilled to be getting out on those at uh, plus plus $50 a piece um, for a few cases worth um, with with no muss, no fuss, because... Uh, folks, I do not know where the price on this is going to end up. Um, let's talk a little bit about what we've been hearing from uh, various sources. So from the, I, there's about eight or nine different uh, LGSs, uh, distributor employees, and um, some speculators that I'm in touch with on these kind of topics trying to figure out uh, what inventory looks like. And certainly if you've got to in with somebody at one of the big providers like Channel Fireball or Star City Games, you're going to have a better uh 
handle on things and by all means contribute in the show comments. But from what I've heard, the LGS has got um, distributions, and this is a known fact because we've the PDF that covered this uh, between Wizards and, and the uh, LGS stores uh, is public. Um, they got about the same allocations that they got for Modern Masters 2013. Um, on the distributor end, however, it sounds like the availability through distributors, and these are um, third-party middlemen that buy lots of product and then resell it to gaming stores. Um, so in case you're not sure how this works, a distributor is basically a company that uh, runs a warehousing and distribution operation. And all sorts of companies that make products, like Hasbro slash Wizards Makes Magic, sell these products um, in bulk to distributors who then can resell them um, at a profit to local retailers. Uh, the uh, distributors, ha therefore, have a different uh, set of inventory than the LGSs get directly from Wizards. And uh, your average LGS will usually burn through their allocation of product from Wizards relatively quickly, and then when they need to restock to keep selling, they're going to get that from whatever distributor they're working with. There's only about uh, 10 or 15 mid-sized to large distributors in this niche um, across North America, so most of the gaming stores are working with uh, uh, a pretty similar uh, sized operation with similar pricing. Um, it's relatively competitive, so most of them have very, you know, the pricing might be within $5 a box or something, maybe even less, a couple dollars a box. And from what I've heard, the, the access to boxes and cases through the distributors has been relatively open-ended. Um, most stores uh, that sold out of their allocations went hunting to their distributors and found that they could pretty much get as much as they wanted. And we've seen the, the price of Modern Master, uh, sorry, uh, Eternal Masters, jump from you know 260 to 70 when it first went up for pre-order as high as 340 when some of the really good cards were um, announced during pre uh, uh, the preview season and now we're sliding right back towards MSRP and you know what do you have to say about that Travis well uh, you know I talked about this last week in my article um, I had I had just sold a couple modern masters boxes for a pretty reasonable profit. I sold a pair of them, um, so I was I was high on this type of thing. And uh, th this information about allocation definitely changes the equation a little bit. Um, I had said that buying them at our MSRP was a great idea, um, that you were unlikely to lose money, and I'm still pretty confident in that assertion. I don't think that MSRP is a bad price to pay. Um, the odds that these really go under MSRP or stay there for long at all is extremely slim. There would have to be a lot of boxes on the market uh, for that to happen. And I don't think we are going to be at MM2015 levels, but you know, even if we do, part of what affects MM2015 is uh, there's two there's two components to that. One is that the cards in general, I think, were less interesting than the first Modern Masters. And two is that there's sort of now this idea that we're going to get Modern Masters every other year. So it took a little bit of the spectacle out of the product. Eternal Masters is the first of its kind in that eternal realm. Uh, there is no expectation that we're going to get more of these. Um, I, I don't think that people are thinking that Eternal Masters is an every other year product. And it's the first run, so we get lots of really interesting cards like the Monocrypt and, uh, and things of that nature. So I do think that even if the supply is higher than initially anticipated, that they still have a pretty rosy outlook. It just may be that it's going to take us a little longer to get there than we uh, initially expected. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to say. We, we really would need to know how deep the distributor um, inventory is going to run. How many waves of product are they going to receive from Wizards that they can then make available to the LGSs? And I think it breaks down like this. As soon as the distributors say to the retailers, we're out, that's it, there's no more, that's going to be the trigger point. If that takes place in the first three to six months, then these boxes pretty quickly jump up towards 300 to 350 and then probably settle in there for a while. Um, the, keep in mind that the EV of the box is still no greater than, say, 200. So you're, every box of, the, of this set that you pop, you're probably losing unless you win the foil um, slash multiple awesome mythic rare lottery. Um, of the cards that are currently up for presale, um, the usual suspects are doing the best. You know, we have Force of Will in and around 80 to $90, Caracas and Mana Crypt in and around 100 Jace the Mind Sculptor has slid, you know, even further um, from his peaks down to about the $70 range. Wasteland is uh, at about $50. And then there's mm, five or six other, oh, no, a little more than that, six to eight Mythics and Rares that are in the, you know, $20 to $30 range. So you need to get pretty lucky with these boxes to do really well. Um, and it's very easy for you to walk out the other side of the door with, you know, $150 worth of cards out of a box you paid 300 locally for taxes in. Um, that's not a situation I would recommend any of you be looking to participate in um, unless you're getting some additional value out of, say, drafting the set locally with friends. Um, so given, here's what I think is going to happen here. The the race to the bottom is going to take off in the next 48 to 72 hours. And boxes are again going to be available at MSRP. There's going to be some small store in the middle of nowhere that ordered a little too much and isn't really comfortable with it. And they're going to get nervous and they're going to post them at $239.99 on TCG or eBay. And that's going to be uh, the beginning of, of the uh, centralization of pricing around MSRP, just as it was with Modern Masters 2015. And if the distributors have stock all the way through the summer, then we're going to have some pretty, uh, uh, probably set up shop on that plateau. And it's going to be uh, largely uh, uh, consistent until we, we get those signals that, you know, retailers can't get access to the product anymore. If the product is, is available uh, easily through distributors come the holiday season, I think these boxes can get down where the MM15 boxes were. I mean, Channel Fireball and Star City have blown these boxes out at uh, $199, like selling for $40 below MSRP at various points. Now, now one of the things to consider here, though, is um, the distributors aren't the whole story. One of the things that people aren't talking enough about, I think, is that we're also missing a triple GP. Um, yeah. For, for M M13, we had Vegas, which was a lot of people. I think 5,000, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and between the North American, which was also, again, Vegas, European and Tokyo uh, uh, releases for MM15, there must have been the equivalent of, you know, something like uh, five or 6,000 boxes opened, right? You it know, was, it, so it was uh, M the first Vegas, the first Modern Masters at Vegas had uh, 4,500 players, I think. The second one was just shy of 8,000 in Las Vegas alone. I think combined with the other two events, it was close to 15,000 players. I think I calculated that there were, God, I want to say 20,000 boxes opened, uh, napkin, napkin math, I think. Right. And so 
you know, that's a big, big piece of why MM15 was devalued um, because there was a lot of loose copies of cards floating around at the same time that retailers were trying to unload boxes. And because it was so easy to get the singles and there were so much of, so many of the singles around from those GPs, um, it, made it, uh, it made it pretty tough to justify um, picking up a box. And, and still does, really. I mean, the boxes are still available out there for $200, no problem. Um, the, so, you know, if we, I don't know what the exact percentages are, the breakdown b- between what the LGSs get as their allocation, what the tri- distributors end up holding um, and pushing through, and, and the amount that would be consumed by the triple GP, but uh, it's certainly worth considering. I think that the best play you can make heading into this weekend, if you haven't already committed to a box, is just to wait and see. Um, it's unlikely that you need any of these cards right away, and their local lows are probably going to are you're going to see guys on Twitter unloading below TCG low on uh, the key rares and mythics in the next seven to ten days. Those are the lists and and some of the lists that are going to be put up on Facebook that are going to be of similar style. These are going to be people that have access to cases but don't have the overhead of a store and they're happy to sell you a sneak attack at $18 or something. Um, the If you're trying to get specific car- copies of cards for specific decks, that's the time frame you want to be looking at. If you're looking to speculate on the sealed product, I think at this point you need to hold off and wait to see how that develops. Take, keep a look at your eye on how many boxes are available on TCG and eBay in and around MSRP, somewhere between 240 and 260 And when you see those start to dry up and it looks like the next price points above are 280 290 300 310 that could be your potential entry point. Yeah, so some, if there was 15,000 players at the Grand Prix, that would be about 3750 boxes, almost 4,000 boxes. So you figure with side events, it was probably um, 4,500-ish boxes open, not, not 20,000. It was 20,000 packs. Um, so just to give you to give you a feel for, for the distribution at the Grand Prix. Uh, and, you know, you hit on a topic that you, you kind of beat me to it, but it's, it's one of the things I wanted to talk about was just the idea that what is lacking is the Grand Prix, which means that there's a lot of a lot less singles hitting the market. You know, after Vegas, all of those players went home and listed those cards on TCG Player to try and recoup some of their costs. So you had this huge flood of players with all of this product that was open, and that's just gone this time. So I think the singles prices are probably going to be a lot more resilient than um, we may kind of be expecting just because of that. Um, and, and you're right. I, I think that looking at Facebook and Twitter, Facebook especially, uh, over the next two weeks will be a good idea because you're going to get all these guys who pre-ordered it from the shop as soon as it was announced. Um, they picked up a box or two. They love to just, uh, and I have seen this so many times. I, the only reason I know that it happens is because I've seen it happen is they, they buy the box out, you know, basically whatever the store feels like charging. So probably close to $300 in a lot of cases, they will sit down in the store, crack every pack in the box and then start selling the cards that are worth the most money, hemorrhaging money in the pop process. But that's what they do. So the, you're going to see a lot of that early on, too, as, um, as these players who, who got their boxes, they're excited to open packs, their lottery tickets, they sell the cards they open. Uh, but I don't know how much longer that's going to go on for. So I, I am uh, I am in agreement with your general conservative outlook at this point. Um I agree that, you know, you probably don't have to snap off MSRP boxes today because uh, I think, for, at least for the foreseeable future, they're still going to be available. Um, 
So you don't have to rush in on that, but I would be trying to keep a close ear to the ground on this if you are interested in sealed product. Um, you know, it's just, it's, just, it's, it's really tough for us. There's a lot of unknowns in the equation right now. So this, this could go south on us. Uh, but at the same time, our, our conversation today about how there's a ton of excess, uh, supplies could, could end up being uh, a tempest in a teapot and it, maybe there really aren't as many as we think they are. So, uh, there's just, there's just so much information we don't have at this point that a lot of it is speculative. Of course, that's all we do is kind of speculate, but you know, maybe more so than normal on this one. Yeah, so I mean, on Twitter, I ran a, a survey yesterday um, that had 300 plus votes, and people were relatively evenly split between um, whether the following question was true or false. Will uh, Eternal Masters boxes be commonly available below MSRP of $240 within the next 72 hours, so during release weekend? And it was like 48-52, but basically 50-50. People weren't really sure what's going to go on. Um, <laughs> I have to wonder how much of those types of things are people desperately wishing it's one or the other, right? Because if I'm answering that, I am really tempted to say no, simply because I bought two boxes at MSRP. And the guy who didn't buy any yet really wants that to be true. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure that that plays into the equation, yes. The... Uh, so, I mean, the other thing to keep in mind is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, which is that the Japanese boxes are ex going to be extremely hard to find. And I, and I still have them on my radar as uh, $500 pickups that will probably easily top $1,000 down the road. As you said, I don't think we're going to get Eternal Masters every two years. Um, I think they might be considered again for four years um, with, you know, two years from now being something else, um, you know, a, a new uh, Planescape or something. Who knows? The... Uh, but there's just, there's not this, the, the needs of vintage and legacy are not deep enough given the status of the reserve list to justify getting eternal masters every two years. Um, unlike modern under, unlike modern, which is a heavily played format with a lot of different decks and a lot of different staples, um, that, that really do need that support. So, uh, one of the things that I would, uh, also point out is in terms of planning out your acquisitions, uh, you know, start going into this weekend. Keep your eye on cards that are often played as a four of um, in key decks in Legacy um, and foils that are going to be particularly desirable and have never been printed before or um, have not been printed in a long time. So I'm talking about cards like when we're talking about the four ofs, uh, Force of Will, which is probably going to find a natural low somewhere in and around the high 60s or low 70s. Um, Wasteland in and around, say, $40 at, I, I would guess, would be the floor. Sensei, Sensei's Divining Top is often a four of. I'm not sure whether people like the new art any better than the old art. Um, so that's a consideration there. Um, a card like Shardless Agent, um, printed at rare, um, you know, is, is often a three or a four of in decks that play it. Um, these are the kinds of things I want to be looking at. I would steer clear of, you know, trying to pick up uh, four ofs of cards like say, Caracas, uh, you know, I don't think you need, when, when you need a Caracas, you need one. Um, you're, you're very rarely running four. Uh, when you need, you know, cards like Sinkhole, um, Maelstrom Wanderer, uh, these, are, these are cards that uh, I'm less excited to be picking up a lot of copies of. To me, the, those those are and in, in, I, I you're 100 correct. The it's the sneak attacks and natural orders and the, I was even looking at the words shardless agent, waiting to get the chance to say it before you said it. Those are the four of the target, and then the other cards, the Maelstrom Wanderers, the Dak Fadens, um, the uh, uh, what is it, Vampire 
tutor. Those are the foils, right? Because those are the cube and EDH cards where you don't need tons of non-foil Maelstrom Wanderers, but you definitely want the foil ones because that's what players are going to be looking for. Yeah, I mean, foil Mana Crypt is a really big deal. Foil Japanese Mana Crypt, even bigger deal. Foil Japanese Force of Will, again, super huge deal. Um, these, these are the things you want to be chasing after. And if you want to simplify your life, if you're a guy who's, you know, late 20s, early 30s, you got a, a solid job going, you got some disposable income, and you want to simplify your investment in Eternal Masters, don't worry about picking a huge portfolio of cards up. Try to find the, the cheapest foil Force of Wills and Mana Crypts you can. Try to get your hands on a Japanese box and forget about it. Like, there's, there's no point in, in holding 20, 30, 40, 50 cards when you can hold one um, with the same predictable up, upside. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that. And Eternal Masters gives us an opportunity that we don't get all the time is that there's highly desirable cards that are seeing a big whack in their current price and they have large price tags, which makes it really easy to dump a lot of money into them if, if, that, if you are so inclined. Uh, while still being liquid. And, you know, I can go out and I can spend uh, $1,000 on non-foil Nephilims, right? Like if I'm uh, convinced that those are going to be worth a ton of money. But good luck selling that many of those cards. Uh, but monocrypts, foil monocrypts, $1,000 is what, three of them? Um, so it's way easier to get out of your investment with these types of cards. So uh, you can do much lower invest, much lower effort investing uh, in that you don't have to micromanage so much, but still uh, be able to work with a larger volume of money, essentially. Yeah, and I mean, there's with the, the Judge promo Mana Crypt, for instance, uses the same art as Eternal Masters and has fallen uh, from its peaks in and around 300 down to, you know, 200 to 220 in anticipation of the set release. Um, so... And there's a there was a media promo version, the original Mana Crypt, that has also fallen off uh, for similar reasons, and is down, you know, as low as like 130, 140. I I would be setting up shop trying to find out how to get the best uh, condition copies of those before I'd be, you know, looking at scatter shotgunning uh, a whole bunch of of uh, rares that may or may not go anywhere once they they appear in this set. Yeah, didn't you have foil Mana Crypt on your cards to watch list last week? Well, I, I pointed out that Foil Force of Will and Foil Mana Crypt are things to keep an eye on. Yeah, so I, yeah. I'm, it still seems like a very uh, smart way to go. Okay. you have anything else on Eternal Masters here for us? Uh, uh, drafting doesn't have a great EV. You have to get very lucky. Um, I don't think people are going to draft a bunch because most drafts are going to be $50 locally. And uh, the prize support's not going to be amazing. Um, so that being the case, um, I think that there's, because there's no GPs, like the thing about the GPs is that you go to the main event, you pop a bunch of product. And then if you, if you go, you know, zero four drop on, on Saturday, you draft for the rest of the weekend. And mm -hmm. because you're there and that's the topic du jour, you're going to keep drafting that set. So you end up with all those singles we talked about that flooded the market. This time around, I don't think we're going to see that much, many singles. And I think it's important to keep your eye on the buy list because I think that a lot of the bigger vendors are going to have trouble keeping some of these key cards in stock. Um, there's going to be a lot of uh, demand for some of these EDH and Cube foils like Mana Crypt. And uh, I suspect that there may be upward pressure on those cards sooner rather than later, pending how things play out with the availability from distributors. Um, yeah. I, I, you're, you're, you're also on the money with this one too, is, um, 
we're not going to have that huge influx of singles, which means the market isn't going to get flooded, which means single prices are going to stay higher, which means they're going to support a stronger box price. So basically, there will have to be a lot of enough boxes available that distributors can just start cracking boxes to sell the singles to support it. So I wouldn't be surprised if we end up seeing, I don't want to call it maybe like an organic Grand Prix, but like a Grand Prix's worth of packs getting opened to kind of support that demand for the packs initially. So even if the print run of this land somewhere between Modern Masters and Modern Masters 2015, um, if you have a GP's worth of packs getting cracked in order to support the singles market, uh, that takes a lot of inventory out of the distributors. And if there isn't that much more behind it to back it up, we could see those prices change uh, fairly dramatically. Well, it's actually important to point out the distributors never crack boxes. These Those guys aren't in that business. They don't sell, sell signals. Right, right, right. Um, so but the, I mean, like the, store, the stores are cracking boxes right. to, to support their customers and then they go to the distributors for more. Yeah, exactly. But the th- the key point there is that I'm pretty sure that the LGSs from distributors will be paying something in the range of 140 to 170 a box. So there's actually there's some wiggle room there because the margin on box at these uh, Modern Masters and Eternal Mo- Masters products are much higher than they are on on boxes that they get uh, of regular products. So like on a Shadows over Innistrad box, a dealer uh, a local store is l- lucky to make 10 to 15 dollars on a box, um, whereas with uh, these boxes, if they're selling at MSRP, they can still be making anywhere from fifty to seventy dollars a box. You know, it's a huge difference. So um, that contributes, though, if we're facing high supply from the distributors and they can get a lot of product um, down to the retailer level, that the retailers have every reason to start discounting. They'll go to two twenty nine. They'll go to two nineteen. It's possible to get down to like one ninety nine and still be selling at a, a small but a definite profit. And if these guys take on too much inventory, that's where we're headed. Yeah, you know, I, I, I keep coming back to this. This is this is all a question of supply. It's all of this is driven by how many boxes are going to be available. And at this point, we we really have it feels like not much more than basically hearsay. Like we kind of have a little bit of information, but it, it's all still very fluid, right? Like who knows what that what the end result is going to be, and that's going to have just will far and away will be the most important factor in determining these prices. I, I have multiple clue tokens in play but I do not know what's on the top of my deck. Sure. There you go. I'll take it. Maybe we shouldn't loot. I don't know. Maybe, maybe <laughs> the control manager's on top of the deck. We shouldn't loot. Yeah. So do, do you loot on Eternal Masters, folks? Yeah. All right. So that, uh, you know, that's a wrap for this week. Uh, where can people find you online, Travis? Uh, well, again, my name is Travis Allen. I am on Twitter at WizardBumpin, uh, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, I'm also occasionally on the Cartel Aristocrats webcast, and I write every Wednesday MTG price, but not for the next month or so. Um, how about and yourself? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. Um, we're going to keep the podcast rolling while Travis is gone um, with some guest uh, appearances, so keep uh, an eye out for those. And uh, I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com pro trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Yeah, that brings us to the end of episode 19. Uh, As James and I mentioned briefly, I will be gone for a little over a month, so you might get some guest recorders in here. Um, I've asked James to make sure they're all worse than I am, so I don't get replaced. Uh, Thanks for for the conversation today, James. 
Take care, Travis, and we'll see everybody next week for another episode of MTG Fast Finance. <laughs>